Good morning, church. How's it going today? Come on, you excited to be here this morning? Woo! Hey, it's only 13 days away till Ducks football. Come on. I knew the Lord was on the move. You know, you just feel it in the atmosphere. It's just moving because God's team is coming back to the field to play. Hallelujah. That's all I'm going to say about that. So I'm excited to be in church today. How many of you know this is not just another Sunday? Man, God is here. God is going to do amazing things. He's doing amazing things. Lives are being changed. God can do a miracle in your life today. So I want you to lean in, get everything you can out of the word today. We spent a great week this last week at youth camp. How many of you were at youth camp? Teens and youth leaders? Yeah, woo, we're all half asleep because uh, it's <laughs> super exhausting, but amazing watching God do incredible work transforming young people's lives. Listen, if you're the parents of teenagers, number one, God bless you. Number two, get your youth to camp next year because absolutely just life-changing, powerful times in the presence of God in worship. We were there with about 250 teenagers from Joy Medford, Joy Eugene, Joy Grants Past, uh, Life Bible Church in Harrisburg, Rock Point Church in Newburgh, church from Centralia. We had a church from White City, like all coming together and just seeing the next generation worshiping God, it challenged me, man, I don't want to let a 14-year-old kid out pursue Jesus over me. Come on. I want to be uh, passionate and dedicated to the plans and purposes of God, right? Really, really cool. But I want to just thank our youth leaders, uh, starting with Pastor Kyle and Kayla, our youth pastors. Come on, let's give them a hand. Woo! Uh, they serve their butts off. Uh, they're literally buttless. They served them completely off. It's gone, 100%, which is great. Anyways, moving on. So they're like, what? Moving on, we, our youth leaders, Nikki and Landon and Brittany and James were there. Give them a hand. So buy them some lunch, right? Get them some coffee. Because yes, we were in the presence of Jesus all week, but we're also in the presence of ungodly body odors all week. Day one, it was like an hour after we were there. I'm like, oh my goodness. I've never even smelled that before. What, what has been spawned from the pit of hell to come out of your armpits, young man? Incredible. But we were at camp this week. Just a great, great time. Thank you, youth leaders, for serving the next generation. So excited for that. Uh, I'm excited, you guys. I wanted to just shout out just real quick before we jump into the message that next Sunday is our I Love My Church Sunday. And how many of you know what that means? We have a gift for you. What do you get? T-shirt. Yeah. So you guys, I'm not, not 80%, not 90%, 100% cotton. We don't, we don't spare, right? We, we don't want like those shirts that you have to get a skin graft every time you try to take it off. You know, it's that polyester that rips your skin and gives you abrasions. We got an awesome t-shirt. So do we have anybody with our, oh, you got it on. Will you stand up for us? This is last year. Woo, I love my church. Boom, yeah. So that shirt, man, it gets a lot of wear, huh? I, mean, I wear mine. I see people wearing them all the time. Well, we got a brand new one for you next Sunday, but you have to be here to get it. You can't, Pastor G. I love you, but I won't be here, so I want a t-shirt. Will you save me one? No! You got to be here next Sunday. It's called FOMO, my friends, fear of missing out. And you need to bring your friends and family and neighbors and people you meet on the street, people that you meet online and say, come to church and get a free t-shirt because it's 100% cotton, somebody, and it's nice. And it's really cool. It's got an awesome design. And so, man, I'm excited to give you that t-shirt next week where you can rep it and you can be incognito evangelist all the rest of the week. All, because people come to church, they see that t-shirt, they're like, right? Has that ever happened before? What, what church do you go to? And you're able to just say, hey, Joy Church, the best in the West, right? Come on out. So exciting. Well, hey, we're going to move forward in our series today. We're in a series called Give It Away. And we're learning about this new way to be human, that Jesus invites us to take up a different way of life than what we maybe naturally would 
in our own kind of natural thinking of selfishness and building our own life up. Jesus invites us to give our life away in service of the right cause. And we get this out of Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, where Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus invites us to give our lives away for the right cause, right? For his kingdom, for his mission, his purpose and plan on this planet. And when we do that, we're gonna encounter what it means to really be human. We're gonna be fulfilled and satisfied and we're gonna find a life that is fulfilled. So that's what we're talking about in this series. And today's topic is about embracing a life of service. Somebody say service. 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 We're talking about being servants. And this is a radically different way of thinking than what we see in the world. Because we live in a selfish and self-centered culture, don't we? Do you know, we've literally invented a term for taking a picture called the what? The selfie. Meaning in the past, you had to get a teammate, a partner to take a picture, right? Think about the 1800s. The guy's like, okay, hold still for nine hours and we'll have this picture done real quick. Thanks, Uncle Kodak. You know, it was like, they had to do this whole thing. And what was it in the 1800s? Like, don't smile, right? If you had to eat like hardtack biscuits and like maggoty meat, you probably wouldn't smile either. But anyways, I won't even go into camping because that's just going back to the 1800s. People, we moved through that phase, right? The Oregon Trail's over. We're here now. We can enjoy what God has given us. But where was I going with that? The selfie. Yeah, there we go. The selfie. We've invented a, a picture that literally you get rid of the other person. Now you just take a picture of yourself. And I mean, it's just one little aspect of our culture. We've got things like American Idol and The Voice and these kind of shows where you get people lined up and they always interview the people and in line and they're always like, yeah, I was, I was helping other people, but this is my time now. This is my time to shine. Isn't that sickening? You're like, are you kidding me? Right? Like, come on. People are all, all our Christians are all up in arms about Harry Potter and yet there's more anti-Christ values in shows like American Idol than Harry Potter. Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, but they've got wands and wizards and witches and all that. Yeah, but they're killing the bad people. You know, in, in, in American Idol, it's just kind of like, I'm going to become an idol. The word idol is literally in the show, guys. Come on. Turn on our discernment here, folks. Embracing service. We live in this culture. But listen, when you recognize what's wrong with the world and you look out and you say, hey, culture's selfish. How many of you are like, yeah, right? It's selfish, isn't it? You know what's coming, don't you? Whose culture? We are. When you look out into the world out there and you see the problems, what are you doing really? You're looking into a mirror and you're seeing a value system. You're seeing behaviors and choices that are made by a group of people that reflect out in the wider world. We live in the United States of America in the 21st century, the most affluent, the most well-to-do time in history. Literally our culture right now, we're, we're not just consumers, we're like consumed with consumption. Not only are we like Burger King and we can have it our way, but we can get it right now. In cities right now, some cities, you can literally order something on Amazon and in a couple of hours, a drone flies it to your house. Did you know this? Literally like, you know, they have, amazing. You get deliveries with like two hours or, or, I mean, you don't even have to wait for what you want. No wonder that we have a problem with selfishness and being self-centered. And yet Jesus says, look, there's another way to live. There's another way to operate. There's another way to think. Because how many of you would agree with me that all this selfishness hasn't really made anybody's self any better? Doesn't really make you feel better? Doesn't really make your problems go away? Because the still unresolved conflict, the war on the inside, the, the question mark of your soul doesn't get resolved 
until we learn to live like Jesus and we touch base with what he wants. And here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, we want to make a difference. But here's what it is. If I want to make a difference in the world around me, I need to be different, right? If I want to make a difference, make an impact, I need to be impacted myself. You can't lead somebody somewhere you have not gone. If we want to invite our culture and invite the world into a life, a different way of living and a changed perspective, we have to change. One of the things that I I feel like we get wrong in, in American Christianity from time to time is that we're really good at pointing fingers at what's wrong with the world. And when God wants to start revival, he always comes to his people first. He says, get my, I want to get my house in order. I want to get my people on their knees. I want to get my people serving. I want to get my people praying. I want to get my people getting right with me. We act like it's a surprise that people that don't know Jesus act like they don't know Jesus. That shouldn't be a surprise. So it's not our job to point out to everybody what's wrong with them. It's our job to say, God, do it in me. If I want to make a difference, I need to be different. Come on, somebody. It says, I'm preaching today. How many of you remember calling shotgun? How many of you still call shotgun? <laughs> and you know, shotgun has these rules that are unassailable, it, right? You, you can't break the rules. I mean, they're written in the stars somewhere. It's like on the stone tablets. Because what's the main rule of shotgun? It's the fact that I called it, right? Called it, whatever that means. But if you call it, it's yours, right? It's basically the Constitution and the Bill of Rights all put together. You can't break it. I mean, it's the law. If you call it, and I remember being a kid and my sister and I were always locked in a titanic struggle of calling it and getting shotgun, right? And it got, it got out of control because we were like booking it in advance. You know what I mean? It's like, hey mom, this is Jake. You have your, your, your Rolodex in front of you. Yeah, two weeks from now when we go to vacation, I call shotgun, right? And my sister and I were always doing this. Well, we actually find this attitude and this perspective in the Bible and it's hilarious uh, that this happened to Jesus. Some of his disciples actually tried to call shotgun. Look, look at this. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, it says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, these are Jesus' disciples, which just by the way, did you know John was probably about 14 or 15 years old? So these are actually teenagers, uh, Jesus' disciples, uh, that are calling shotgun. And they came over to him and said, hey, teacher, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. Never say yes when somebody says, will you do me a favor? Just word to the wise. You always say, what do you want first, right? They replied, when you sit on your throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. In other words, we call shotgun. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. (laughs) No, you're not, guys. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared that place for people that he has chosen. When the other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant, which is what happens when somebody calls shotgun out from under you, huh? How dare you get to it first? They were indignant. So Jesus called them all together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. That's the way the world works, isn't it? You get a little power, goes to your head, pretty soon you start squashing people. It's all about running the rat race, getting your little rat hiney in front of somebody else's rat face, right? It's about getting up the corporate ladder and smashing the other person's fingers as you climb, isn't it? That's what the world is about. When you get some authority, you flaunt it, you lord it over. Hey, I beat you, I'm better than you, I'm on top. 
And Jesus said, that's how it works in the world. But he says in verse 43, among you, it will be different. Say the word different. Not the same, not like the world, a different way, a different way of thinking, different way of being. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, Jesus is talking about himself here, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, listen, my people, my followers, his disciples there in that moment, and and then by extension, all throughout history, leading right to this very moment, we are to be different, not the same. We're not to try to get shotgun, not to try to put one over on everybody else and get to the front of the buffet line and get our way first and just take care of our own needs and then worry about other people. We are to trust God and be radical servants and think differently. If we want to change the world, really, if we want to make a difference, then we've got to be different. We've got to let God do something different in us. We have to be different, right? If we're going to make a difference. So this morning, I want to give you four ways to embrace a life of service. Now, listen, when I talk about embracing a life of service, you got to understand that I'm not just talking about like, well, you know, every once in a while I volunteer somewhere and I do a good deed and I kind of pat myself on the back and I feel validated and I feel good. I'm talking about letting God change your heart so that the fundamental posture of your heart is no longer looking at how do I satisfy and fulfill my agenda, but rather how can I actually seek actively to build other people up, to build up God's kingdom, to serve and lay my life down. Because when that happens, it's a radical thing that takes place in the human heart. How do we embrace this life of service? I wanna give you four ways this morning. And then we'll call Shotgun and beat all the other churches to the best restaurants. All right, number one. Just kidding, guys. That's not what Jesus would do. Number one, be like Jesus and put others first. Be like Jesus, put others first. When I was growing up, I, I grew up in church. I'm a pastor's kid. And I remember hearing stories about Jesus. And you always imagine him with his sandals, perfect Birkenstocks. No socks, people. Come on, get with the program. He's wearing, you know, his Birkenstocks. Sorry, Eugene, I'm from Medford. And I got up here and y'all wearing... Socks with your Birkenstocks, it's got to stop at some point. I'm just here. I love you, and I'm telling you the truth as your pastor. It has to stop. It's a fashion faux pas. It's a fashion crime. It's a fashion felony. Cut it out. All right. So anyways, uh, Jesus, I always pictured him there. He's got his Birks, you know, his sandals. He's got his perfect white robe. Somehow in Palestine in 2,000 years ago, it's always perfectly spotless white. And uh, long hair, of course, looks like a surfer. Looks like he plays in switchfoot. You know, and, and, and here's Jesus, and he's always walking around, and he has a British accent, right, in my mind, and uh, of course, makes no sense, right? But he has a British accent, and he's always doing these amazing things. He's healing people, and he's preaching great messages, and he's turning over the tables in the temple, and he's doing Jesus things. You know what I'm talking about? And this is how we see Jesus. But did you know that what actually made Jesus radical and really different from everybody else isn't the fact that he preached great messages, It's not even just the fact that he did miracles. That was a big deal, but that wasn't the whole thing. It wasn't that Jesus uh, even, you know, was a sacrificed himself because there were other people that taught. There were other people that had radical revolutionary ideas. There were other people that had new philosophies and all kinds of things. So people will say, well, Jesus was a great teacher. Well, sure, but that was only an aspect of who he was. There was more to him. One of the things that made him radically different was the fact that he put others first, that he lived an other-centric life and nobody else was doing that because everybody else was building up something of themselves. But Jesus demonstrated this radical selflessness to put others first. And we see it laid out for us in Philippians chapter two, 
where the Apostle Paul is talking about the character of Jesus and he's encouraging Christians to take on this mindset. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He's saying there's something different about this man. There's something different about Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, to hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Jesus left the place of privilege. You got to understand something. Like when you and I, when we give something, it's not really that big of a difference from where we are now to where we are after we give it. But Jesus gave up heaven. He gave up the right hand of the Father. He literally, in this passage, it's called the kenosis. It means the emptying. He emptied himself of divine attributes. It's a mystery theologically exactly what took place. But Jesus left the very highest, greatest, best place that he rightfully deserved to occupy to come down and serve us and even get underneath us and get below us to serve us. See, what happened is in Genesis, when, when humankind fell in sin, the world began to fall and it began to go completely upside down. And so the world began to be about power and oppressing people and hurting people and men oppressing women and, and political systems oppressing others. You, you guys get what I'm saying? You live in this world? It's a fallen world. It's falling one way. And Jesus had to go the opposite direction to turn the world right side up again. So he had to get underneath all of that, get way down, way below, leave the highest place, get to the lowest place so that he could begin to lift us up to where God wanted us to be all along. Jesus emptied himself. He humbled himself. He served us. And so when we talk about embracing service, we need to say, Jesus, I want to be like you. Not marginally more of a servant than I was today, but I want to be completely living for your kingdom, completely laying my life down, looking for others' interests before my own. What would happen if a group of people like us took this word and just lived it out? It would change this city it would change this state and it would begin to change this nation and change the world. The church is invited to be this radically different group of people, not just people who are marginally more moral than other people. That's not the point. A group of people that embrace a brand new way to be human, to follow Jesus, to lay their lives down. Be like Jesus, put others first. Number two, how do we embrace a lifestyle of service? We make the move from spiritual consumer to spiritual contributor. Make the move from spiritual consumer to spiritual contributor. I talked about this a little bit earlier, but we are consumed with consumption. We are expert, amazing, highly gifted consumers, aren't we? We have a PhD in con consumer uh, ideas and, and lifestyle. Even people shop churches, which is ridiculous, right? Well, I go to Joy Church for worship and I go over here for messages and I go over here like it's Walmart or Target. Don't come here because you like my preaching. I know that doesn't happen very often, so I'm not worried about it too much, but come here because God planted you here. If you found Jesus in this place and lay your life down for this group of people, love, be here because Jesus put you here. Don't be here because you like something marginally better than something else. Don't be a consumer, be a contributor. Let me just tell you right now, man, I'm happy that every single one of you is here, but my mission is to make you uncomfortable. And it's hard because those are comfortable chairs. But my job as your pastor is to come and just poke you every single Sunday and say, follow Jesus, be more like him. Come on, put yourself on the field. Get out of the stands, get on the field. God put potential in you. God put something inside of you. Get out there and serve. Come on, be a, a contributor. Not just to the church, but into the world. Come on, God put you here for a purpose. 
You were made on purpose and for a purpose. You're not just time plus time plus chance. You're not somebody's accident in the backseat of a car. God brought you onto this planet for a reason. And I'm here to wake you up a little bit. Come on. And you're here to wake me up a little bit. Say, pastor, come on, keep laying your life down. It's our job together, right? We encourage each other. We build each other up. We need to make the move from spiritual consumer to spiritual contributor. Pastor Craig Rochelle says it this way, and I love this. He says, the church doesn't exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Do you want me to tell you what, what makes Sundays like more fun? What makes being a Christian a lot more exciting is when we understand this principle right here, that we are the church and we exist for the world. This church is not here to serve your needs and make you feel better and all that kind of stuff. Those things are gonna happen. Come on, we're gonna, as God touches you, as you hear messages in the presence of God and you hang out with church family, like it's amazing. It is really, really enriching and rewarding, but that's not the point. If we make our church attendance or we make our church our giving or we make our serving, if we make it a matter of a membership club or as a consumer would make that decision, our heart motive is wrong. God wants to get a hold of our heart and say, be a spiritual contributor. I'm here because God put me here and I link arms with these people because God put us together to do something great in this city. Come on, make the move from spiritual consumer to spiritual contributor. So I just want you to ask yourself this question, even right now in your heart of hearts, am I a consumer or a contributor? Am I here for what I can get or here for what I can serve, how I can give? Listen, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I'm broken and my life is a mess. I need help. That's awesome. We're going to contribute to you and help you. But the ultimate thing is this. When Jesus gets a hold of your heart, gets a hold of your life and begins to put the broken pieces together, you get to serve. You get to be part of this team. And you don't got to wait until you're perfect or until you know every scripture. You're going to be waiting a long time if you wait that long. Jesus got this really well. In John chapter 4, verse 31, he'd just been ministering for, for a period of time to this woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. And his disciples come back to him in, in John 4, 31, and they're like, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus says, I've got food you know nothing about. They're like, Snickers? No, guys. They're like, did somebody bring him food? Did somebody run to Chick-fil-A? What happened? Then Jesus explained to them in verse 34, he says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. When you connect with this idea that as you give out your life, God replenishes and fills you, when you give your life to the purposes and the plans of God and begin to serve others, what actually takes place is you don't, you don't have less, you actually get more. That you can never outgive God. You know, you in worship, when I lift my hands and I dance and I sing at the top of my lungs and I pour my heart out before my God in, in worship, I never leave more on the field than he puts back into me. Because as deep as I press into God, he's pressing deeper into me. Whenever I open my wallet and give to the Lord and give to the kingdom and God's purposes, God always pours out blessings that I can't contain. You can't outgive God financially. You can't outserve God. You can't outpray God. You can't outlove God. You can't out anything God. He's unfortunately 100% utterly perfect. You can't beat him. So when you race God in the area of service, when you race him in the area of giving your life away, he always gives more. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Guys, listen, I give, when I give my life, he puts it back in me. My nourishment, I am restored, I'm nourished. Listen, when you, when you grab hold of this principle in your life, you are an unstoppable Christian. Unstoppable. Because no discouragement, no tiredness, no 
desperate situation, no circumstance can stop you from achieving all that God has called you to do because you get fed by the struggle. You get fed when you serve. You get fed when you preach the gospel. You get fed when you serve. This week at camp, all of us came home tired. You know, we, we, we laid our lives down. For me, it was mostly eating candy and staying up too late. But for our youth leaders, it was like giving it all for these youth, pouring into them. And just so you know, teenagers, not always the easiest. I don't know if you've noticed, sometimes they tend to have bad attitudes. I don't know if anybody's noticed that. It's sometimes that happens, sometimes people notice it. But our youth leaders giving, but you know what God is doing is pouring back into them. Even for me in my limited amount of service that I did this week in loving youth and, and serving them, God was putting into my heart more than I could, anything I could give out. And though my body was tired, my spirit was alive and awake. We need to move from spiritual consumers to spiritual contributors. Number three, it's so important that you identify your contribution. Every single one of you is a superhero. You might not realize it, but you are. God puts something inside of you that makes the world a better place. You have purpose. You go, man, I've only been here one week. You have purpose. You have purpose at Joy Church. You have purpose in the city of Eugene. You've got purpose in the world. Romans chapter 12, verse six says this, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You might look at yourself and say, well, I'm not like you, Pastor Jake. I don't get up in front of people and talk. That's fine. That's good. You, you have a gift that you've got. We need your gift. We need my gift. We need all of our gifts together because together we're the full expression of Christ in the world. Together, not individual. We don't want, we do, do not idolize somebody on a platform. This is just another role. My job is not more important than the person putting donuts on the thing. My job is not more important than the team that rolls in pipe and drape and sets stuff up. Come on, don't idolize my position, right? It's just another role. It's another job. Some of you are gifted to do what I do. Some of you are not gifted to do what I do. And guess what? I'm not gifted to do what you do. So you do you, boo. <laughs> Everybody's got to do what they do. Come on, right? We all have a place to serve. The devil wants to stop you. He wants to put a gap in between you and discovering what you can actually do to serve. One of the ways that we, we, we get rid of that gap is through Next Track, where we say, go in, take the spiritual gifts test, find out just a little bit of a glimpse of who God made you to be. Because when you begin to see how awesome you are, you're gonna realize I've got something to give to the world as God begins to fill you. Identify your contribution, number four. We'll finish up here. Serve in the church and as the church in the world. A lot of times when we talk about being a servant and serving, we can make it where it's just about inside the church. And that's so important to make this environment great. All the servants that serve inside the church, we need that. Everybody has a job in the family, right? Everybody has a chore. Everybody has a place to be in the family. And we make this the best environment that we can, the most welcoming, most full of God's presence. But it's not just about serving in the church. That's part one. Part two is serving as the church in the world. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket instead. A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Did you know that God gets glory 
when we serve as his church out in the world. This Saturday, we get an opportunity to go to Shasta Middle School, which is a, from my understanding, underprivileged school. They don't have maybe all the resources that some of the other schools do. Uh, or maybe it's a poor neighborhood, I don't know. But we get to go as a church and we get to bless them. It was so fun last year. It was, it was a crack up. Joe Manning, I don't know if he's here today, but man, that guy was like just, he went Hulk on this tree root. And all these men are like, cheering, you know, and it was just great. And we ate food together and we served, watching the principal of the school just be like, whoa. I mean, it was, you could see it in his eyes that it was a big deal that all a hundred plus people or 70 or how many of us were there were serving. I would like every one of us to be there on Saturday to just say, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Like I'm here to serve. I want to show the city that we care, that we don't just come and put on nice clothes and go to boxes on Sunday mornings, but we're actually here to do something in the city. Come on. When we get out, we begin to serve in the church, yes, but as the church in the world is when the fun really, really starts, really begins. How many of you are going to be there this Saturday? It's going to be fun serving together. And God gets the glory when we operate together. We use our gifts. We contribute. We serve together. Serve in the church and as the church in the world. What's the bottom line today? The bottom line is that, hey, if you want to make a difference, you got to be different. Embrace this new way of living, this new way of thinking. I exist to serve. When you lose sight of your own yourself, guess what? Your problems, your, your failures, your inadequacies begin to fade because your eyes are on Jesus and on what he's called you to do. And people's lives will be changed when you use your gifts to serve them as Jesus has served you. Aren't you glad that Jesus serves us? I think it's funny because we have this religious mindset where we think, oh, only he's God and and so we serve him. He doesn't serve us. But that's actually not the case. The greatness of our God is demonstrated through his weakness. His power is demonstrated through the the weakness of the cross. The Bible's full of this idea, this, this philosophy, this concept that our God is so great that he was able to take a humble position. No other God does that. No other deity or entity ever does that because the natural way is thinking God is all powerful, but our God is all powerful, but he's so powerful, but he's also so good and so loving that he came and he served us. And Jesus has served every single one of us when he gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins and reconcile us to God.